my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Listen every Thursday or join the conversation anytime on Instagram at What's Her Story Podcast. Candace Nelson is the entrepreneur who put cupcakes on the map as their own category. She is the founder of Sprinkles and Pizzana, a judge on Cupcake Wars, and the author of her new book, Sweet Success. So you said goodbye to your career as an investment banker and then went back to school for baking. What was next? After pastry school, I got to work making special occasion cakes out of my kitchen because I just wanted to be as creative as possible. I needed to do the opposite of crunching numbers. And it was actually kind of comical because these special occasion cakes were just, they took years off my life. I mean, making all the decorations and the fillings, and then I was trying to deliver them. And, you know, on those steep hills of San Francisco, it was like they were sliding around all over the place. I I just couldn't take it anymore. And I remembered some advice that someone had once told me, which is, if if you want a real business, you have to make something that people will buy every day, which a special occasion cake, you can't. So I sort of went back to those wedding magazines I'd seen when I had noticed that cupcake towers were kind of, you know, coming on the scene. But at the time, cupcakes still were like kid fair, right? They were in the supermarkets. You found them in the plastic clamshells. They were very unsophisticated. They were nostalgic. Everyone loved them, but they didn't really like the taste of them. They just liked the feeling of them, reminded them of childhood. And so I thought, what if I married like these beautiful ingredients and this artful design I am using, you know, for these special occasion cakes and apply them to cupcakes, but not to make them too fancy. They would still be like fuss-free, but somehow more elegant more beautiful, elevated in terms of the ingredients, the technique, and the style. And that was sort of the light bulb moment for, if I can like remake the cupcake, this is a new business. 
And then what did you do? Like, what was your first step after you had this light bulb moment? Well, my first step was I realized San Francisco was not a place to be starting some like innovative new concept because the the economy was terrible. So my husband and I actually had a bunch of friends who had moved down to LA. We came down here and LA is based on, you know, making business out of creative pursuits, right? Which is essentially what I was trying to do. And so it just really spoke to me. And we went to all these parties and every party had the exact same cake. It was that sweet lady Jane Berry cake, which is delicious. And I love it. And I love Jane. But I was like, hmm, this is a large city. There's one cake. (laughs) So it, it all was happening. So we moved down to Los Angeles. And I have to give my husband a bit of credit here because he had his MBA. He had worked in banking too. He was doing financial consulting. And he said, I'll start the cupcake business with you too. Like I will be your co-founder. I will initially be your cupcake delivery man. And then we'll build this business together. And you can only imagine, I mean, I, people were raising eyebrows at what I was doing, but just given like, you know, how it all works in investment banking and sort of how gender plays a role, like he was getting a lot of flack from people, but he was all in. And so we came down to to, um, Los Angeles. I started making cupcakes out of my kitchen and it was like product market fit immediately because I didn't even know that many people down here, but my friends who initially took pity on me and were ordering cupcakes, would take them to parties and then their friends would order. And then all of a sudden people were calling me and I had no idea how they'd found me. And one of them happened to be Tyra Banks's producer. And so all of a sudden I was baking cupcakes for Tyra Banks out of my little West Hollywood apartment kitchen. And I was like, we're on to something. And at that time, was it called Sprinkles? It was. There was a, a moment where it was sweetie cakes. There was a moment. That was like during my cake making days. And then I had this vision of, I don't know, I was walking through an airport and I had this vision when I looked at the, um, the food court area of sprinkles. And not that I was wanting sprinkles to be a, a food court brand, but there was something spoke to me about this name and how it was going to be huge. And I think there's so much in a name and I feel so fortunate that the name was available for us to use because sprinkles is so strong, right? And it's, it feels good in your mouth. It's fun to say it's elevated. Like sprinkles are the decoration on top of the cupcake. It's aspirational. And so just even with that name, I knew that there was, there was something there. What did you envision sprinkles becoming in those early days? I would have been happy with it being a successful, you know, bakery in Beverly Hills, but Every entrepreneur has a dream and a vision. And my vision was like sprinkles in every city across America. And ultimately the great American bakery brand, right? But at the time, you know, I had to sort of temper my vision because it was, let me walk you through the the time in which we opened sprinkles. First of all, it had never been done before. It was the first ever cupcakes only bakery. And it was really kind of the first ever, I hate this word, but it it has some meaning gourmet cupcake, right? It was the first time cupcake had really been elevated. So people were already saying like, mm, there's a reason bakeries sell lots of things. Then we're also opening this concept in LA, which as we know, people don't really think of people in LA eating cupcakes. They think of them more as, you know, doing yoga and drinking green juice. And then on top of that, The South Beach diet was like on the New York Times bestselling list. It was low carb. Like everyone I knew was eating low carb. I was even eating low carb, but it was so I could have a dessert afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, I think one thing that was really important is that because I was coming from somewhere else, I really was able to see LA through clear eyes, not through these sort of ideas of what LA is like not not through the stereotypes. And so I was driving around looking for retail locations and I was like, geez, there's an awful lot of donut shops and burger joints in this town. Like I have a feeling people might be eating cupcakes more than they are letting on. So when did Sprinkles leave your apartment? I was ready to sort of, you know, sign on the dotted line a lot earlier than we could find a spot. So I ended up, you know, selling out of my home kitchen probably for a year and a half. And then went dark for a little bit as we were building the store. But it was really, really tight. I mean, it's so different now, right? Like you can find retail space now post-pandemic. But at the time, like it was really hard to find retail space. And there were a couple of locations that fell through that I think, you know, the heavens that they did because they were kind of in mm, so-so areas. And the thing with retail is, my God, location, location, location 
right? I mean, the sprinkles of mid-city or the sprinkles of deep Venice wouldn't have had the trajectory that is Sprinkles Beverly Hills did. We opened, all the agents were, you know, lining up. All the stars were coming to see us after they visited their agents. All the tourists were coming by after they couldn't buy anything on Rodeo Drive, but they could they could buy a $3 cupcake and feel like they were partaking in, you know, Beverly Hills, Hollywood culture. And so it was, the location itself played such a large role. And, you know, even when we expanded to other areas, like, you know, Dallas, we were the cupcake shop from Beverly Hills. That ended up becoming our our reputation. And now, a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As you grow a business, obviously, it creates a lot of stresses that you don't expect. And here you were, a newlywed, running a business with your husband for the first time. 
How did that relationship evolve? Did you experience any hiccups along the way or was it always smooth sailing? (laughs) Oh, come on now. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I will say, you know, all of my friends are like, I don't know how you work with your husband, co-parent with him, live with him, socialize with him. You guys still seem to like each other. And it's definitely not for everyone. But I think, you know, in general, having a co-founder, I believe is really important. Not that there aren't like incredible solo founders out there like killing it. Obviously, then it comes down to just a really strong team. But having Charles's support for me at the beginning was really everything because I I really didn't have the confidence at the time to take that first step. It wasn't what I had been brought up to do. I was like brought up, you know, my dad was a lawyer. We were all very risk averse in our household. And so having his support was really important initially. And then going forward, we were able to choose our lanes. You know, I was product, I was marketing, I became the face of the brand. And he was like, you know, signing the leases and doing the contracts and, you know, managing the people, but he's, he's a great manager. So we really have um, complementary skill sets. Now, one thing that I'll say is I knew that I could work with him. And the reason I knew that is because we actually did work together before we started dating. We worked together in the event, in the investment bank and we would be, you know, putting together pitch books late at night, you know, 16 hour grueling days at the investment bank. And he was always the one with the sense of humor. And he was always the one who, of all the people who worked at the bank, like knew the parking attendants' names and knew like their family and knew what sports team they were cheering for. So I knew that like we could work together under dress. <laughs> and I also knew I just really liked how he dealt with people, right? Like how he interacted with people. So you sign your first lease, and at what point did you feel like, okay, this brand is exploding? You know, there were definitely a few different moments where we kind of exploded. The first explosion was really day one because Daily Candy had written about us. And for those people out there who don't remember, Daily Candy was sort of the original email newsletter telling everyone in town what was hot and happening. And and it had, as you probably remember, you guys, like the most incredible incredibly loyal, like fanatical following. People did what Daily Candy told them to do. Did you pitch to get Daily Candy? They reached out to us and I was like starstruck that Daily Candy had reached out to me from my little home apartment. And it was so powerful that actually we wanted to push the opening. And they said, we'll pull the story if you don't hit that date, because that's the date that email's going out. We're like, we're going to open that day. <laughs> so we we absolutely frantically tried to get it together as best we could. But even then, you know, I baked through the night. I baked all the cupcakes I could have possibly thought somebody, you know, people would come in and, and buy that day and more. I filled the display case. I think we had 200 cupcakes, right? And the assumption was that people would come and buy one or two. I mean, isn't that how people enjoy a cupcake? No, no. People were buying one to two dozen. And at the time, my little mixers, I was literally, I mean, this is how naive, like, I mean, I just laugh when I think back to it. I was working with little mixers that yielded one or two dozen. So people were coming in one at a time and there was a mob. And so we were, we were sold out by noon. And then all these customers that were so excited, come have a taste of sprinkles were like our happy line turned into an angry mob. And I just was hiding in the back, baking as fast as I could. And Charles was like, you know, pouring on the Oklahoma City charm as best he could. But we had, you know, people yelling at us. We had agents, assistants, like standing there sweating because they had been told not to come back without two dozen cupcakes. I mean, it was just like the parade of humanity we saw and just the range of emotions (laughs) was unbelievable. So that first burst was Daily Candy. Then a few months later... Katie Holmes was on Entertainment Tonight, one of the entertainment shows, on some press junket for for a movie she was coming out with. And she talked about Sprinkles as being her little secret in Beverly Hills. And that was, again, a little history lesson back when Tomcat days. Tom Cruise was courting Katie Holmes. And that became a media frenzy. And the one thing the media knew that she liked were Sprinkles Cupcakes. So they were always trying to like ply her with Sprinkles Cupcakes on the red carpet to get the interview. And so we somehow (laughs) were part of that whole phenomenon. 
And then eight months in, Oprah Winfrey called and said she wanted the cupcakes for her studio audience on the show. And that was just like, oh man, that was a pinch me moment for sure. Getting that call from Oprah and then fulfilling those orders. At that point, did you say, okay, we got to open in multiple cities or, or how did you react to the Oprah? So we had lines, you know, that wrapped around the block for probably months. I mean, probably a couple months. And it was sort of sad. I mean, with any sort of growth, there is some loss that comes with it, you know, in, in so many so many different areas, right? I sort of liken it to raising a child too, right? Like you, you, you want to raise the child or the business to get to a stage where it can grow, but in the growth comes change. And so all of a sudden, like we had all these great regular, you know, neighborhood customers and they were like, ah, oh, I can't get in anymore. And so we kind of like all of a sudden we'd burst onto the scene. We were like this international brand because of Oprah and the people who got us there, I felt like we couldn't service anymore. That was sad for me, but it was also a wake up call because it was time to scale. And I had to let go of my control and my perfectionism and hire that team because for some reason back in the day, my husband and I were still like the main labor. And granted, we were really helping with the profit margin because we basically had no employees, but we were about to die. We were literally about to die. Like there were moments where we just slept like after work with an apron rolled under our head. It's such grueling work and the way that we were doing it, which was, I'm the only one that can make my cupcakes and he's the only one that can box the cupcakes was ridiculous, right? So I remember hiring the first baker and I was like, oh my God, this is like the biggest, you know, leap I've ever made. And then within a week he was like making the cupcakes great and all these people were frosting my cupcakes better than I could have ever frosted them. And I was like, oh, oh, right. They can do it too. They can actually do better than me. All right, moving on. So then we, you know, a year in, we opened in Newport Beach. And we had great success in Newport Beach. And then the next step for us was proving that we were a national brand. So instead of continuing to grow in Southern California, where our brand was fantastic and it would have been like an easy win, we took a risk and went to Dallas, Texas as our third location. And the idea was that a lot of people were saying, oh, it's just a trend. You know, this is only something that could fly in Southern California, where, where everyone's so, I'm using air quotes, shallow. <laughs> and... We were like, no, I think there's more to this. Like cupcakes are innately American. People love a cupcake and we're just giving them more reason to love a cupcake. Everyone has a birthday and there's lots of celebrations and there's a lot of reasons for people to buy great cupcakes. So we went to Dallas to prove that our concept had legs on a national level. How did you go from having difficulty letting someone else bake the cupcakes to being in a different city than your brand? That is definitely releasing control. And that was hard for me. But what we did, and granted, I was nine months pregnant at the time, we moved to Dallas. We moved to Dallas for three months. We hired, we trained, we worked alongside everyone, and we made sure like with, with you know, kid gloves, like that this, we were going to launch this business exactly the right way with the right company culture, with the exacting standards. And that's really what it took. Then when you went to other cities, did you have to do the same thing or were there no other cities? So as we grew, we were able to grow our team, right? And we loved promoting from within. So literally the people who were becoming regional managers had started, you know, as cupcake associates, boxing cupcakes. But we knew that they like lived and breathed sprinkles and they understood the company culture. They were the company culture. They had been raised with us. They'd been brought up with us. So we were able to spend less time in each market, but certainly we still went to every market. And, you know, ultimately that was what was hard in terms of as my kids started to get a little older and they started to approach school age, I couldn't really do that anymore. And that was, that was one of the reasons why we ultimately eight years in decided to pursue a sale, a significant sale of the company. What was that process like? Because we talk a lot on this show about the process of building a company and growing a company, and we rarely get a chance to hear from someone who solicited a buyer and successfully sold. It's so interesting because I was definitely raised in that culture, going back to the banking days where 
that's the dream, right? You you found your company, you scale it, and you sell it. That is what every founder wants. And it was what I wanted. But again, with the growth and the loss, there was so much loss in that process for me. And I think the hard part too is the best time to sell your company or get strategic investment at a great valuation is when everything's going really well, right? And so things were just going gangbusters for us. And ultimately my husband wasn't ready, which is weird because it was really, you know, it's my, it was like my first child. I identified with it so much. And I was, I mean, they, call, they called us Mrs. and Mr. Sprinkles, for God's sake. Like it was our identity. And, you know, we kind of had a family meeting about it and basically convinced Charles, like, this was the way. Like I had kids now. I'd grown up moving all the time. I wanted roots. I didn't want to be on the road when my kids were supposed to be, you know, at soccer practice. And so it was really a personal decision for me. And I think kind of a sacrifice for me because I was sacrificing one thing for the other. And ultimately we found an incredible partner and everything has been amazing, but I wasn't prepared for the journey that I would have after that, just in terms of letting go of something that is like so important to me. I mean, I I walked into, I'm getting emotional thinking about it, but I walked into the bakery the other day and like, the entire staff were the people that I trained like in 2005, still working there. And they all, I mean, these people gave me my baby shower, right? Like they all came and gave me hugs. And I just was like, it's still so visceral, right? It's so emotional for me. It wasn't just a business, you know? And it's funny because throughout this process, I really had to figure out like, okay, clearly I was over identifying with my business. Like (laughs) who is Candace Nelson? (laughs) But got to spend some amazing time, you know, like building a home for my children, taking them to school, you know, leaning into the charity events and being like, you know, the PTA person for a little while. And I got to have some of that time, which was such a privilege and such an honor. And then ultimately found myself back in the food business with pizza on us. So didn't learn my lesson the first time, clearly. (laughs) And what were the logistics of the sale? Like, take us through how you let people know that you wanted to sell your company. Well, we hired an investment banker who um, was sort of, you know, well-known for this sort of transaction and put together a pitch book and, you know, he serviced it to everyone we thought strategic and financial buyers and, um, you know, came back with initial interest. And based on that, we had meetings and you know, it's like any relationship. Obviously, there's a financial part of it, but there's also just who is going to be the right person to carry care for your child that's growing up, right? And I also had seen in the investment banking days this idea of founder syndrome, where, and I knew that I could be, I could be guilty of this, right? Where where the founder doesn't want to let go because they think that they know best and only they know best. And I had been that person, as we discussed. But ultimately, Sprinkles became a national retail brand. That meant that there was never a time in any of the 24 hours where there wasn't someone at a store, where there wasn't some time where the oven could be breaking and we'd be getting calls in the middle of the night. It became an operational challenge. And ultimately, what fuels me is the creative part, the ideation, the concept, the you know building the brand, go to market, all of that is, is what I love and what I'm best at. And so I didn't want to be the one who was sort of choking the growth of my company potentially because I wasn't the right person to be scaling a national brand. And so we ultimately found a private equity firm that's great with restaurant and retail and and really got like the specialness of the brand. And so it was a great process. I mean, my own emotional issues aside. What do you think defines the culture of Sprinkles? And has it changed since the investment? I mean, I I hope not. I'm not operational day to day, but I think the fact that I walked in and all those incredible employees were still there really speaks to the fact that that we built a strong culture that was able to exist even after we were no longer involved in the day-to-day. You know, Sprinkles was always about joy and delight and fun. And it was conceived during a time of real darkness. And I've always found, I think 
the thing I love about food is this idea that it unifies and it connects people in a way that's not complicated because we live in a really, you know, divisive, fractured time. And there are very few things that can do that authentically. And so I love that about food in general, you know, and, and that's kind of my mission is to just inject a little, it's not, it's not a heavy, heavy lift. It's, it's just a little something, but you know, customers would come in to feel better after a breakup or they'd come in to celebrate and we made any moment, whatever it was a little bit better. And now a quick break. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When did Cupcake Wars arrive in your life and what role has that played? Oh my gosh, Cupcake Wars came out of nowhere. I literally was like the baker in the back with my baseball hat on and granted media would come, it was, there was definitely a lot of media that 
you know, featured sprinkles and I would come out sort of reluctantly from the back and be like, okay, this is my business. And, you know, I definitely had no glam. I had no media training. I was not, I was, yeah, I was not ready for the camera. But then this cupcake thing just wouldn't die. And there was a producer who was driving down Little Santa Monica Boulevard, which was, you know, our first location in Beverly Hills. And she drove by our store, and then she drove by a block later, a new store that had come into town from New York that was also selling cupcakes. And she's like, oh, it's a goddamn cupcake war out there. And she's like, ooh, ding, 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 ding. Like, producer, like, that's a show. And so she pitched the Food Network. They decided it would be best as a competition show, and they had to come after the queen of cupcakes. Our pilot was filmed under a tent on the grounds of UCLA. I mean, it literally was like so just like pieced together with like tape and uh, duct tape. And it got picked up and it went on to become a hit show. I filmed over 100 episodes as a cupcake judge. It was syndicated internationally. It's still airing. It aired for a while on Netflix. Now it airs on like Discovery Family Channel. But it's funny because I recently started a TikTok account and I can't tell you how many people out there are like, I remember you. I grew up with you. Like my family used to watch Cupcake Wars all the time. And that's like, I mean, aside from the fact that that makes me feel really old, I'm very proud of that show. I definitely got sick of eating cupcakes, particularly when the challenge ingredients were like fried crickets. That was problematic. But it was really fun to be part of that. And honestly, I think Cupcake Wars really shined a spotlight on what was going on in the industry in general. Because in 2008, you know, the bottom dropped out from the economy nationwide, not just in the tech industry. And a lot of people lost their jobs. And a lot of people turned to opening cupcake bakeries as their form of entrepreneurship because they had seen this model be successful. We were known all around the country, all around the world, really, for our lines at the door. And there's not much of a barrier to entry, like as far as starting a business, you know, opening a cupcake shop is not that expensive or hard. And so there were all these people across America opening these cupcake shops and then coming to Cupcake Wars to like, you know, stake their claim to the best cupcake out there. So it was, it was, you know, it was really actually a phenomenon that was very real. It wasn't just for TV. Now tell us about Pizzana. You know, I love my food. I, I in particular clearly love my handheld foods and my like you know, comfort foods. I met our executive chef, Daniele Uditi, at a pizza party. He was catering and I took one bite of his pizza and was blown away. So of course I went to go meet him and we spent the rest of the party like geeking out two bakers basically, you know, like we deal in different types of dough, but we were two chefs and bakers that were just sort of sharing mutual admiration. He loved sprinkles. He has a sweet tooth and I loved his pizza. And he shared his incredible story with me, which is that he had immigrated from Naples, Italy with $200 in his pocket and his grandmother's sourdough starter, which is still the starter that we use to make all of our pizza doughs. And he was just saying, like, I would love to have a restaurant one day. And I literally could not stop myself from blurting out, I would love to do that with you. And so that match was lit. And, you know, we built a brand around him, um, created a menu and found our first location in Brentwood. And it's been incredible to watch his star rise, him come into his star power as a chef and like a worldwide known pizziolo now. What's your favorite topping for pizza? I like classic flavors. I like simple flavors. I feel like, you know, something simple done really, really well is like the holy grail, right? Like Always in Cupcake Wars, people could pull all these bells and whistles, but the, the cupcakes I remembered were like the insane chocolate cupcake, like a chocolate cupcake that you would dream about with nothing else, right? Because that's really hard to do. And so for me, the margarita pizza is how I judge any, you know, pizza place or, or pizza maker. And there's really, I don't think you can really improve on it. Although I will say, the Cacio e Pepe, which Daniele is known as a bit of a pizza maverick where he will like mess with tradition. And he has used traditional pasta flavors in a lot of cases, the most famous one being this Cacio e Pepe pizza to translate onto the top of a pizza. And he inspired his own, like now you find Cacio e Pepe pizzas like on menus across 
the world. But that was his creation. And it is incredible because it's just creamy and peppery and like chewy and crunchy. It's just like got all the things going on. But I also have to say, you know, because we're in LA and uh, we do have our, you know, non-pizza eaters, we've got great salads and other, you know, antipasto too. How often does your own family eat there? I mean, do you feel like your kids at this point are sick of pizza and cupcakes? Honestly, we rely on it entirely too much. And now, I mean, talk about like the pinnacle of laziness. We are now shipping our pizzas frozen nationwide on Goldbelly. But so we have all these frozen pizzas in our freezer. So instead of, I mean, we're not that far away from our West Hollywood location, but even then we're like, let's just pop a pizza on it in the oven. So we rely on it entirely too much, but it's fun. I have to say like peddling in all the kid foods, it's, you know, my kids' friends are always happy to come over and have a play date because they know they're going to be fed well. What is the biggest difference for you between starting the two businesses? Like you're now a seasoned entrepreneur. Like how does it feel different this time if it does? Well, definitely feel like I have some experience this time. And and we were bootstrapping from the very beginning with Sprinkles. We had a little bit of money that we just knew we had to stretch as far as possible before we couldn't pay our rent. And this time we were able to build a team. But there were still so many, so many learnings. I mean, the nature of a restaurant is so different than than what we were doing at Sprinkles. I mean, just with, you know, front of house staff and our guest experience is really, I mean, it can be like an hour and a half with a guest, right? So there's a lot of opportunity to infuse that with something special, but there's a lot of opportunity for stuff to go wrong um, versus sprinkles. We've come in and we just had to like infuse that five minutes someone had in the store with a lot of joy. So yeah, definitely a lot of learnings. I think, I don't know, I just think leaning into the fact that we were able to build a team from the get-go, that was really, that was really nice. <laughs> So Candice, do you have a new book? So the book is Sweet Success, and it is about turning your passion into profit, which is exactly what I did with Sprinkles. It's a guide to entrepreneurship. So anyone out there who's entrepreneurious or has just started a business, is a first-time founder, it may not be you, it might be someone else in your life, this is the perfect book for them. Because I share sort of the I share the inspiration, like I, I definitely give the mindset piece, but I also give really tactical tools for how to approach building a business and building a brand and going to market. And um, it's told through the lens of me bootstrapping, building, and ultimately selling sprinkles. So I think it's really digestible for people. I think, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs are glamorized in the media and, and the ones that are building rocket ships and maybe they're engineers or tech savants. And that seems really intimidating. And ultimately what I did is I built a business out of something that anyone could do. Like my kids bake cupcakes. So I really am trying to break down the barriers to entrepreneurship, invite more people around the table, to use my you know food analogy there, because historically a lot of people have thought that entrepreneurship can't be for them. And I'd like to change that because I think that it's the fastest entrepreneurship can be the fastest way to generational wealth and that opportunity needs to be spread around a little bit more. So with Sweet Success, I'm really excited to finally share my story about how I did it with Sprinkles and hopefully help a lot of people out there to do it too. And so I wanted to create something that could be a larger platform for me to inspire and help new founders. Should we go to our speed round now? So Candice, what are you reading? So I'm reading something that is very unlike my typical reading material. It's called The Idea of You. And it was recommended by one of my best friends who saw how stressed out I was in the marketing of my book and just how relentless it was. And she recommended that I take my mind off things for a little bit with this really fun read. Who is your personal board of advisors? I am so lucky. I have the best girlfriends in the world. A lot of them are entrepreneurs, angel investors, but some of them aren't. And, you know, we're just, we're, we've got this text train, we take girls trips together, we like get together for dinner, we keep it very real, we keep it very tight. And we are incredibly supportive of one another. And I, I just like, I don't know, I feel so grateful for them. I just feel like these women are the ones that just, they have my back. 
They're always thinking about ways to help. Even when I'm not asking for help, they're just always thinking. And I don't know, I think just having that level of friendship and support in your life is everything. Who leaves you starstruck? Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. And I got to see her backstage when we uh, brought our cupcakes to the show. And we were there early because we'd taken a red eye, which I, I didn't share, but that's how we got the cupcakes. We took a red eye, got them on the plane, rolled off. I was still in my clothes from the day before. And so we were there at like three or four in the morning and she rolled in like pre, you know, hair and makeup. And I just, it was like, oh my God, like the presence of that woman is something else. It's palpable. Like it, that energy... I just was so starstruck. I could barely breathe. I literally, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it. I could like barely breathe. What is your favorite thing about yourself? I think it's my beginner's mindset. I'm curious. I'm always trying new things. Some, sometimes I'm like, oh, why can't I just like rest on my laurels a little bit? Why do I got to like now try this and try that and risk failure again and all of that? And it's like, because I have to practice what I preach, Right. And I also feel like when you're, when you stop learning and you're not curious anymore, you stop growing, you're dying, right? So I am always trying to, I mean, whether it's like, you know, trying to take on TikTok now and my kids just can't, you know, they're just like, mom, no, cringy, <laughs> cringe, cringe all day long. Or trying to learn Web3. I took a class on Web3 this summer and it was so funny because one of my friends, a younger friend who used to work at Instagram and Facebook, she was like, Candace, she was kind of surprised to see me there. And I was like, oh, no, no, this is me. Like, I am always just like out there asking the dumb question, like putting ego aside as much as possible all the time to be able to learn and grow. What do you want your career to look like when you're 75? I think I realize now that as much as I love starting companies, it takes so much focus and so much time. You have to be all in. And as my life, you know, becomes bigger in the sense that, you know, my kids are getting older and I have other commitments outside of work now and it's just, it's rich and it's full, I can't always just take myself completely off the map to start a new business. And so I've found the joy and beauty in angel investing now and and being able to champion other founders who are the ones in the ring and I get to kind of (laughs) sit back, not sit back, like I amplify in terms of my network, obviously, you know, writing a check and also, you know, however I can, mentorship and more. But ultimately, the end of the day, it's not up to me. And so I like the fact that I can keep my hands in a lot of things that way. And I also... Speaking of beginners' mindset, I love learning from these founders. I mean, I can bring stuff to the table. They bring stuff back to me in spades. So um, I think at 75, I would love to be have like an incredible portfolio of um, companies and like this wonderful network of founders that I've supported and just be sort of passing along and amplifying that next generation of change makers as much as possible. Since you and your husband work together... I would imagine you also have to be deliberate about spending non-work time, non-parenting time together. What was the last date you went on? It was for our anniversary. We just celebrated 21 years. And um, we went out to, we left our neighborhood, which you know (laughs) has become increasingly rare (laughs) these days, just because life is busy and there's lots of traffic in LA. And so you tend to kind of like, exist in this little, you know, whatever, 10 block radius sometimes. So we went to the other side of town and went to this really cool sushi restaurant. And it was just like, it was awesome. Well, Candace, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you you for having me. You guys, thank you for being models of like, just badass female founders and entrepreneurs out there and for everything you do to amplify other entrepreneurs and just women trying to live out their dreams. I really, I really respect what you guys are doing. 
The thing that I cannot get over after the conversation with Candace is how positive she remains about entrepreneurship because it is a roller coaster. And she, you know, of course she said there are roller coaster moments, but like to see somebody who's built a company to go back and do it again and to support other entrepreneurs, it made me happy. She really seems to have kind of coasted through it with a really upbeat, positive take on it. It does sound like she has a dream partnership with her husband in terms of their roles and their division of labor. And that's something we just don't see that often. Completely. I I was so interested in learning about that partnership in business. I mean, I don't think I could run a business with my husband. We I run know, the I business couldn't. of our family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we tried once. It's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. But it is really interesting and it's very cool. And like what a show of support at the beginning when Candace had this idea. And he said, you know what? I'll do it with you. Like, that's pretty remarkable. I agree, especially coming from the very patriarchal, male chauvinistic world of investment banking. He's obviously a super confident guy and, you know, believes in her and them. And I, I love the story. I also thought it was really interesting that they, to go to Dallas and make sure that the quality was kept, they had to move to Dallas for a few months. And I think that those are the stories that we don't often hear, right? We hear, oh my gosh, it just blew up. Sprinkles was chosen by Oprah and then it became this you know, national worldwide brand. That's not what happened, right? They put in such hard work and they put in grueling hours to make the overnight success. There is no such thing as overnight success. And you and I talk about that a lot. We do talk about it a lot. And there's not. And that's why I think, you know, I, you and I both, I found us both asking questions to her that were very kind of the tactical, but wait, what happened here? What was this like? Because you want to know that piece of it, because I think it's really unfair to paint entrepreneurship for anybody as something that doesn't happen without just a ton of blood, sweat, and tears. You know, I, I know, you know, you and I are both still in it with our first versions of these com- the companies we're running now, but it's, um, it's everything. It's all day long. It's every day and it's never easy. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would appreciate it if you leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Stacey Para, and our male perspective, Lou Burns.